Welcome to a special episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Kobe Huberman, co-founder of the Israeli Peace Initiative, which works with Israeli leaders and decision makers in order to promote a new regional alliance with Israel and key Arab states. In this episode, Alan and Kobe discuss Alan's proposal for an Israeli-Palestinian-Jordanian confederation, alongside Kobe's work on a regional framework for all states, leveraging past discussions and agreements toward a future resolution. This discussion was held on July 22nd as part of a new discussion series on Alan's proposal for an Israeli-Palestinian-Jordanian confederation, the full video of which is posted on YouTube. You can find future events in the series at alanbenmir.com. Yeah, good morning. I am so delighted uh, to have uh, today my very, very dear friend. We go back how many years? <laughs> More than twenty years. Good. <laughs> yeah, Kobe Herman. You know, Kobe has been involved for many, many years in track to diplomacy, specifically in connection with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He's now devoting a tremendous amount of time for regional cooperation. So very few people have been as active uh, as, as Kobe in connection with various conflicts, specifically with the focus on the Israeli-Palestinian one. Um, today, we are going to be discussing um, a proposal that I have advanced a while ago, last year. And we will also, of course, listen to Kobe about his take and his ideas about what is happening with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and what can be done in order to bring this tragic, tragic conflict that's been going on now for 75 years to some kind of conclusion where the Israelis and the Palestinians can live in peace and prosper together and, and basically change the entire dynamics of the region. Things are happening day in and day out throughout the Middle East. And I think it's a good time. It's a very good time now to introduce some new thinking into this subject because it's, we simply cannot wait another decade or another two while people from Israel as well as the Palestinians are losing their life day in and day out. And the tension between the two sides is becoming increasingly more intense, more violent. And so I want to thank you again for Thank sharing you. this with me this, this morning. And um, we hope that uh, our listeners will uh, take some note <laughs> Indeed. Um, about uh, this very, very important subject. Uh, I just, as we spoke earlier, I, a little more than a year ago, I advanced a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, we choose have solutions to everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think and I think scores, hundreds of Israelis, as well as foreigners, everyone come up with his own ideas about how to solve the Israeli Palestinian conflict. And so there's many ideas around. But what I attempted to do, Kobe, is that given the changing realities on the ground after 75 years of conflict. Can we, in fact, discuss this subject as we have discussed it 20 years ago or 30 years ago? That is not got, no longer relevant today because we need to consider these realities. And so when I look at these realities, I came to the conclusion, whereas 
a two-state solution remain vital, if not the only solution, but in and of itself will not resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because of the various internal and, out and, and external elements that are now in, must be factored into this. So let me just suggest to you the, the various points that I made in my proposal and why I came to that conclusion. Number one, I feel very, very convinced that is the Palestinian will never, and I, you know, in politics, one should never use the word never, <laughs> things change. But in this case, I dare use the word never, give up their right to establish a state of their own. That just, uh, as I, when I look at the conflict, that's where I begin, because that is the central issue here. So how do you achieve that, given the various elements in which both parties have are conflicted? So why I come to this conclusion? First of all, I look at the demographics. We look at the demographics today. We see Palestinians living in the West Bank alongside with Israeli settlers of nearly 600, 700,000. Palestinians are living in Jerusalem, of course, side by side the Israelis that they intermingle one with another. They go to one from east to west freely. Palestinians, of course, living in Israel proper, nearly 2 million. And nearly half the Palestinians in Jordan, half the half of the population in Jordan are also of Palestinian origin. And of course, the Palestinians in Gaza are also locked into this because they have to deal with Israel on a day-to-day -day basis. So this reality that is, in my view, you cannot separate any between these people. They coexist and they continue to coexist under any circumstances. The question is what sort of coexistence we're going to be able to maintain and sustain under peaceful conditions. The second point, and I look at Jerusalem. To me, Jerusalem, the Arab world, the Palestinians have unique interest in, in Jerusalem, of the, specifically because of the holy you know, shrines that they have, the Askamas, the, the Dome of the Rock. And so that goes more than a thousand years ago. So, and so do we, the Jews, Israelis, have very strong historical, biblical affinity to this to the city of Jerusalem. How do you deal with Jerusalem given the relationship, the, 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 the affinity that both people have? That ought to be resolved. The, the, the third issue is national security. To me, for Israel, Israel national security is of great concern to the Israelis and for good reason. Given the historic experience that what the Jews have gone through, national security is a sequana for the Israelis in order to have to agree on anything. On the other hand, they, they cannot sustain that, cannot have security unless the Palestinians themselves feel just as secure. And so here, the level of cooperation and security is a must between the two sides under any circumstances. And even today, even today, under the current condition, Israelis and Palestinians are collaborating on security matters in the West Bank because they know otherwise they will be, they'll be the violence will be uh, will not end. Uh, albeit they're still obviously going uh, violence still take, take place. So you have that issue where both sides have again unique interest in trying to solve the problem. The fourth one is the Palestinian refugees. The notion that there is a right of return, I think it's a, it's an old and acceptable. There will be no right of return, and the Palestinians are going to have to accept this fact of life. However, in my view, 
resettlement and compensation will have to replace the notion of a right of return because in the final analysis, they are still going to be living in the land that they claim to be theirs. So that basically, I consider them more of an internally displaced than they're actually refugees. Because if you resettle them, if you compensate them, and they can live in their own country, in their own territory, that will be uh, the ultimate solution. That is, there'll be no such a thing as right of return. The other factor I consider is the settlement. I don't believe there will be any circumstance under which Israel will evacuate this settlement, with perhaps as exception of a dozen or two dozen settlements that scattered all over the West Bank, with very few settlers between 50 to two, 300, uh, in order to be able to allow the Palestinians to, to have some contiguous landmass, probably some of the settlements to be relocated into perhaps the larger settlement. So the Palestinians need to accept the fact that Israeli settlement is going to be in the West Bank and they're going to have to coexist with this with settlement. So the question is, if you have all of these elements put together, how do you gain, what sort of solution can you fashion that is going to make it possible to respond, to deal with all of these issues and still achieve the ultimate objective of a two-state solution, which my, in my view is, cannot be replaced, cannot be changed. This is the reality that we have today. So that is when I came with the concept of the confederation. The concept of confederation in and of itself is not a new. What in my view is a new in my approach is that confederation between Israel and the Palestinians will not happen, you know, no, not by, by, in a bilateral, bilateral way, because Israel simply will not accept just a confederation with the Palestinians. Because of history, because of experience, because of, well, for many, many reasons. So they know they need another party. And I, in my discussion with many Israelis, this has been reaffirmed and reconfirmed many times. Why Jordan then? Why Jordan is a key here. Jordan has tight, very close relations with both the Israelis as well as the Palestinians. That is, you cannot really consider a solution to Israeli-Palestinian conflict without factoring in what is the interest of Jordan in that regard. That is, Israeli co collaboration on security matter with Jordan is extremely, extremely ex uh, vast, massive, and has been for many decades, and will have to continue to be. Israel is a de facto protector of, of, of Jordan as we know it today. But also the, the Jordan have also interest in in connection with security with the Palestinians. Not to speak of the fact that Jordan has 50% of its population are, of, like I said before, of, your, of, your, of uh, Palestinian origin. So they have this again. Then Jordan is also involved in, in Jerusalem. They are officially the custodian of the holy shrine, the Muslim holy shrine in Jerusalem. They have been and will continue to be, and I don't see any way that you actually can, 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 change, it, can change that. So they have interest as well as there. The, the fourth element is they, they have also certain refugees. They maintain a couple of refugee camps for Palestinians. More, in my view, more for symbolic reason, because 95% of the Palestinians in Jordan have been acclimated. And today they are, for all intents and purposes, they are Jordanian citizens. 
and they have the in their in their country they have the the Jordanian economy is 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 so much more depend depend today on the Palestinian that, that live in Jordan. So they are integral part of the Jordanian community. Is no longer they no longer considered Palestinian living in Jordan. They are all Jordanian. So therefore, Jordan becomes now another player in the scheme of this confederation. So why then, in my view, the three need to collaborate on all the matters that I just mentioned, where they all have common interests, be that Jerusalem, national security, the, the refugees, the settlement. And, and we look, if we look at the, what does confederation mean, confederation by definition, is voluntary, voluntary collaboration between the various countries on matters of their national of, of interest to them without compromising their independence as such. So when I spoke to various officials, specifically Jordanian Arabs, they said to me, you know, Arab, we are open, but we cannot subscribe to this notion unless first there is a Palestinian state. And that is concern they have, as you well know, Kobe, going back many years, because Israel has been claiming time and again, Jordan is Palestine, we don't need another Palestinian state. And for the Jordanian, that is a completely non-starter under any circumstances. So as and the final point I make, given the complexity, given the hatred, the disdain, the animosity between the two sides, and given the fact just think in those terms, and I'm sure you know it, but the audience need to know that. 80% of all Israelis were born after the 1967, under the occupation, when, when the West Bank was occupied. 80% know nothing. They were born when Israel is already occupying that territory. And on the other side, 90% of the Palestinians living today have been living under occupation. I just want you to imagine the mindset of these people on both sides, the mindset. So therefore, in order to move into this direction, we need a process. Because you cannot get both people to sit down and negotiate a solution. It's not going to happen because of the psychological dimension of the conflict. That needs to be addressed and the historical dimension of the conflict need to be addressed. To that end, in my view, we need a process of reconciliation. A process of reconciliation is a people-to-people, government-to-government on a day-to-day basis, provided we have to establish from the, from the, on, on the onset that this road eventually will lead to a two-state solution, and then Jordan will be joining into a confederation. And in my view, this could provide ultimately the solution that is going to satisfy all three parties. Israel will maintain pretty much the settlement to a great extent. The Palestinians will have their own state. Both sides will feel secure. Jordan is going to be very much part of it. And this imagine of the three work together now, I think you have to introduce it almost like a new renaissance into, into the Middle East because it's the heart. If you solve that conflict, the, the implication, regional implication, uh, it's hard to imagine how positive, how great they would be. This is where I stand for it. So I, I know you, you know the reality of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict perhaps more, better than most people. 
So I, of course, would like to hear what your take on it, your understanding, and we can have a discussion between us afterwards. Well, uh, first of all, I'm delighted to be here with you. And I want to thank you for inviting me for this, uh, you know, open open conversation uh, triggered by it's your proposal. And uh, with your permission, Alon, I'd like to take this opportunity, uh, first and foremost, to commend you for not giving up uh, <laughs> despite reality, because some people might have taken all the observations, the, the very correct observations that you have made as an analytical uh, effort to look at the situation and might conclude that it is time to give up. And, and therefore, every person that looks at the very harsh reality, sometimes and in some areas deteriorating the reality, and still doesn't give up, deserves a big medal oh, for, <laughs> for, being, for, for not giving up. Um, so, so this is my, my, my first reaction. Um, I, I really welcome the wealth of ideas that are being proposed um, in the past decade or so. And I would claim ever since the CARE initiative failed, which is by now nine years, the, the spring of 2014. Um, and, and this has been a very tough decade because it was also empowered by the failure of the Trump initiative. Yes. On the other hand, as a very interesting decade, this has been the decade where we have seen the rise and fall of the Arab Spring, the, the huge effort to defeat ISIS, and the, the scaring progress of Iran, not just in its nuclear program, but also in its uh, fight for hegemony in the entire region. And to a certain extent, the sense that the United States is walking away from the region. So the, we, we are not short of negative signs over the past uh, decade, but on the other hand, in 2020, we have the Abraham Accords. Uh, some would say against all common sense, <laughs> But those of us who were very active in promoting this, we're not surprised. So my, my, my take on the current reality is something that I share with you, but I'd like even to expand. Um, and I think that our conversation would open up the, the legitimate discussion of what do you do with the complex reality, how you do not give up, and what kind of options it gives you. One of which, I would say, is a very legitimate option, is the confederation ideas that you, you brought. And I would like to suggest some additional ideas along these lines. But if you don't mind, let's start with understanding the reality. And I'll respond to some of the things that you said. Um, number one, any... I. Totally, 100% agree with you that anyone who thinks that the Palestinian problem or the Palestinian aspiration for self-determination 
in the form of a state are going away are making a grave mistake. The denial of the Palestinian uh, genuine genuine uh, passion for this um, is very dangerous. The second, the second major risk is that if people think that the care status quo can stay forever, it's another great mistake. Exactly. Things cannot stay the, the way they are. And we are, we are seeing some of the events in the past few weeks and months as a dangerous reminder to what could happen when um, not only we will see clashes between Israel and Gaza or uh, Israelis and Palestinians in the West Bank, we might see a multi-theater clash between not just the Palestinians in Gaza and West Bank, but also the Israeli Arab citizens inside Israel Actually, and, and Lebanon. So we are on the verge of a much bigger risk of hostilities than just local clashes between settlers and, 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 and Palestinians. So these are the grave um, realities. You cannot ignore the Palestinian problem and their passion for the two state for, for a state of their own. You cannot ignore the huge risk on the ground of, of a continuation of the status quo. And and um, another another big problem is that you cannot ignore the leadership vacuum on all sides. Exactly. Um, you know when when, when People like yourself and myself are talking about solutions. We are we are on the tribune of the of the of the stadium, but the yeah. players should come to the stadium. There are no right. players on the ground, so uh, it further underscores our commitment to create solutions that will be yes on the shelf or will be put on the regional, you know, board waiting for the right time. And the right people. And therefore, when we look, as you rightfully said, we, we look for a process, we also need to look for the way, not just for a diplomatic process, but a pre-process of not just reconciliation, but leadership build-up. I see that as one of the major, major challenges. Yeah. Confronting any viable or any novel or any innovative new idea, given the harsh reality. Yeah. Who's going to do that? Yes. That's a major, major concern for me. Now, um, let, let, let me respond to some of the components of your proposal. The idea of a trilateral confederation, as you said, is not new. I myself was once involved in a project called, it was quite track to effort, called Jopais, <laughs> Jordan, Palestine, and Israel. Yeah. But it was then viewed more through the economic prism, mm -hmm. uh, which is extremely important of course, uh, dimension or to, to, to be looked at, because there are fundamental economic inefficiency in the way these three economies are, exactly. are, are exactly. being run. And definitely, uh, when you look at the Confederation idea, one of the issues that we need to take a look at is the economic asymmetry, mm -hmm. not just the security asymmetry, exactly. between the three parties. 
So, um, yeah, the idea is there, but one fundamental thing that I would like to suggest to you and, and, and hear your response. Um, I think that the current reality needs also to take into account two more factors. One is the Abraham Accords and the passionate desire of some Arab players to normalize either officially or unofficially due to regional shared interests and priorities. And I think this is a game changer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think it opens up more opportunity. Definitely. Um, and and if, you, if you want, I will, I will elaborate on some of the ideas of my own, given the same reality. But when we look at the same reality with all the harsh components, mm -hmm. we have the Abraham Accords. How do we take advantage of that? Exactly. It's a great challenge. Mm -hmm. And by the way, a great booster for ideas like yourself on the configuration side. Yeah. Um, and the second one is to acknowledge the tectonic shift, the cross-generational shift in the region. Sorry. Which, in a way... You mean the demographic? The, the demographic, yes. the emergence of new backbone of leaders exactly. that are younger, yeah. whether they are uh, in Egypt, uh, in the Gulf, uh, definitely, uh, soon in Saudi Arabia, in Morocco. How do we take advantage of this new potential, new mindset, mm -hmm. while acknowledging that certain truths are not going to change? As we said, the Palestinian uh, problem is not going to go away the linkage of the Arab and Islamic world to Jerusalem is not going to go away. Exactly. And it must be acknowledged as well in any, in right. any uh, solution. The fundamental economic issues of the entire region, and not just economic, but climate change mm -hmm. challenges, um, how do you cope with that? And these are factors that are changing the calculus. I claim they are opening up more opportunities than just closing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, with that uh, perspective, may I just throw uh, a few few hints? Oh, please. Okay. Uh, maybe the, the trilateral confederation is not ambitious enough. Maybe... At the end of the process of establishing an Israeli-Palestinian and Jordanian kind of relationship, you end up with a much wider circle of cooperation oh, that supports it. I, I would like to present a scheme that I would call the two states in a regional package, uh -huh. which is, if you like, your idea on steroids, okay? Because it it it, it stops asking the question. Well, it it. It asks the question, why just Jordan? Why not also Egypt and Saudi Arabia and uh, Morocco and the Gulf? And under which conditions? And what does this structure look like? So this is my first question. Well, can we take the idea of the confederation beyond just the trilateral uh, perspective? Second, when we take a look at the economic elements. I, I can share with you and, and, and our viewers uh, a project that 
I, I drove and tracked to with 25 economists and business people in the region back in 2016, where we ended up with a plan called regionomics. Mm -hmm. We said, we're not dealing with solving the conflict. We assume that there will be a, a, a Palestinian state because all the things that you and I agree. There will be some sort of regional cooperation. There will be some sort of peace process. But now we want to look at what are the economic benefits at what needs to be done. And when we sat and looked at the regionomics scheme, and by the way, it was published. Yeah. Here's what we found out. That not only the solution benefits all the regional economies, there are three fundamental big winners. At the end of, when, when you analyze any growth engine, whether this is tourism, agriculture, mm -hmm. handling of water, energy, transportation, logistics, healthcare, any growth engines, and we have identified about 10 of those that mm -hmm. pertain to the establishment of a much better, viable and prosperous economic region. Mm -hmm. There are three winners at the end of each and every one of them that gain the most. Absolutely. Jordan, Palestine, and Israel. So the full potential of economic benefits for these three countries stems not just from trilateral agreements between them, but by hooking to a much wider range of cross-border regional projects. And definitely, we'll, you know, when we talk about climate change, mm -hmm. no need to, to talk about this. But just if we take tourism, it is mind-boggling what can be done. Exactly. When, we, when you look at regional regional tourism, and you just say, oh, okay, let's build a regional framework for uh, tourism that includes yeah, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. Just these. You know that the Saudis are dying to really develop and diversify their economy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the number one untapped potential mm -hmm. Also, as a way to change the image to the outside world, is tourism. They have fantastic tourism potential in the Red Sea. Exactly. The ability to cooperate between Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia on tourism is huge. But on the, let, let's let's just think that somebody comes for a vacation there. Wouldn't they want to go to the holy places in Jerusalem, Nazareth? Um, as well, of course they will. Who will benefit from that? I can tell you very quickly. They will go through Jordan, they will go to Palestine, and they will go to Israel. Absolutely. And these three countries will benefit by far more than the spending of the average tourist just on the coast of Sinai and Saudi Arabia. So the, the, the confederation can be taken far, in my view, far beyond. But then my other view is, we say, and you rightfully say so, that confederation is the result of the national interest of the participation, uh, participating countries. Right. So I am, I'm, I'm asking you a, not a belittling question, but a, a tougher question. Okay, so before we have the confederation, we have the different states. How do we get to that point? Hmm? And this has been the uh, focus of my effort 
without looking at configuration. Right. And, 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 and in the way I phrased it, uh, I looked at it as three potential political horizons. So the first political horizon is the establishment of the Palestinian state side by side to Israel in the context of regional cooperation. The next horizon is a trilateral mm -hmm. confederation. Yeah. And the third horizon is a regional cooperation mm -hmm. scheme. And I asked myself, what should be presented as, as a, a trigger for a state? Is it the two-state solution in and on itself? Is it the trilateral cooperation? Is it the regional scheme? I think that's an interesting question because the configuration, in a way, in your proposal suggests to the people, in my language, make concessions on the two states because you're going to benefit much more on the configuration of it. That's the way I read your proposal. Well, I mean, and of course, I mean, a concession is required. You're going to have both sides would have to make concessions. Um, this, this is a given. Uh, that is, uh, no solution can be found if both sides insist on the condition they present today. That's not going to happen. Uh, but if I may, when yeah, you, yeah. Uh, I mean, you you made uh, extremely important points, and uh, honestly, I don't have any way of disagreeing because if we take one one by one, uh, the regional implication and the peace between Islam and Palestinian with Jordan. What impact that will have on Iran? I mean, Iran's main claim today is that the Palestinians being displaced. Have a solution, yeah, they will be pulling the rank from underneath the Iranian. What sort of argument going to have next? This will have also implication on Hezbollah in Lebanon. What they are going to claim? If the Palestinians say, we're happy, what it is your business? And that is, you will be taken away from the, the, this principal argument. And the implication goes regionally, as you well, well said, extremely well said. The economic implication, the prosperity, everything that, that is peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians has huge repercussion in a positive way on a regional scale. Economically, no question. Uh, certainly security. This is absolutely the case. The the You said the status quo is not sustainable. I possibly not possibly disagree with agree with you more on that. This is today. This situation is is going to be getting tense, increasingly more and more tense, and it cannot be sustained. It's only a question of when. I've been saying this all along. When will this explode to a point where the Palestinians will no longer agree just on a ceasefire? They want. They will insist on a permanent solution. So I fully, fully subscribe to that. You mentioned uh, le uh, leadership vacuum. There's no doubt about it. There are no leaders today in Israel or the Palestinians. That is, at least the current government is entirely out of the question, be that in Israel or the Palestinian Authority. That's like a concept will not happen. So you're going to need a new leaders. The question is, how do we encourage the right? That's it. But there's, you know, there's a natural element. Abbas cannot last forever, nor does Netanyahu can last forever be that for natural reason or political reason. So, so the new leaders will come to the fore. The question is, what can be done in advance in order to encourage the kind of leadership that, in fact, looking at the, at the conflict from a different perspective? Yesh Atid, Mashallah Lapid, for example, he said it clearly when he was still uh, 
in transition as a prime minister, we have to have a Palestinian state. Albeit it was basically criticized by his own ministers as a result of that. So you have leaders in Israel that can, in fact, rise to the occasion if the occasion presents itself. Is a question in my mind. So and then you spoke so eloquently about the economic. There is no doubt economic the economy. It is not just Israel or Palestinian Jordan, but it is on a regional scale. It could change the entire region as we know it today. Imagine if they, when Israeli technology is put to use throughout the region. It's a revolution. It's a revolution. And all the countries are interested, for example, in Israeli technology. Today, Saudi Arabia collaborates with Israel tacitly because Israel is supporting and giving Saudis so much in terms of technology, intelligence, so it's a de facto normal, normal relation, albeit it's not formal one, which I will come to. The, the democratic component, you know, like, and I, again, I agree with you. We are, you know, there is, there is a demography that you cannot shift. You cannot change in any dramatic way. Maybe 10, 20, 50,000 could be relocated from here to there, but you cannot go beyond that. And then, uh, the, the final thing, you know, you get to the, how do you get to, to, get to that? There's no doubt, like I, I said, and you said it before, the, the, the new leaders, whoever, when they come and however they rise, they need to understand that given the complexity, given the emotional component, given the my, the psychological element of it, given the historic experience of both sides, that these are major you know, impediments between the two sides. They need to be ameliorated. They need to be modified. They need to be changed. And that is going to take some time. But this is what it's going to, the way to do it is that if you establish from the very beginning exactly what you said, that the creation of a Palestinian state Initial is a sequana to be able to be able to deal with this issue, but not necessarily the moment you sit at the table. But you agree this is the this is the goal. Let us now establish the mechanism and the steps in order to go to that goal. That is, if they sit and agree in principle, this is what we have to do. We're going to have to negotiate about these issues, but we must negotiate. We must reach a solution. Only because there is no other solution. Yeah. So we have to make the concession necessary to reach our destination, that it is a destination that all of us will accept. So there is not a single point <laughs> that you made with which I disagree. And and you, to, and you see this together, now, there's one point I understand that you, you mentioned which is important to, to, to suggest, that is why limited to Israel? To me, you know, maybe I'm a little conservative at this point. <laughs> I would like to start with these three, and the the, the sky is the limit. Sky is the limit. You can expand it to include other countries. There's no question about it. There is no reason, because they all have interest, vested interest, to collaborate. Their prosperity depends on collaboration. Their security depends on collaboration. And so, when you talk about the Abraham Accord and the Saudis' interest. This is precisely because they need that collaboration. So some countries don't want to wait until there's a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but others like Saudi Arabia 
albeit it's collaborating with Israel on a number of fronts, why not talk to them better and uh, almost regularly, on a regular basis? Oh, they say to me, we want peace with Israel. They, they say it. But we cannot betray what we have been saying. We actually, he said, we de facto recognize Israel in 2002 when we, when the Arab Peace Initiative was introduced. We said then, make peace, solve Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and with the whole Arab world, yeah. we'll make peace with you. We could discuss the Arab Peace Initiative forever. Yeah, yes. but, but yeah. the Saudis are not strange to the notion that peace with Israel is the ultimate destination. So, so I think, you know, between what you said and what I said, certainly there is absolutely no, no contradiction whatsoever. Let, let, let us then agree, and for the sake of having a very interesting conversation, let's map all the things that we agree, which is, okay, the reality is what it is. We have regional dynamics, the Palestinians don't go away, two states is one of the ultimate goals. And, and 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 we need novel ideas. I think on this we we are hundred percent lining. But for the sake of having a, an interesting conversation, I would like to challenge the idea of the trilateral approach. Absolutely. Okay, and I'll tell you why. I'm afraid of two things that must be taken into consideration. When we talk about a trilateral confederation with Jordan, Palestine, and Israel. Besides the fact that I think the, the first piece is how do you get to the state level in order to enable? Here are the risks of presenting it like this. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter what you had in mind. What matters is how it is being listened to. Right. Certain portions of Israeli thinkers believe that when you talk about a confederation, a trilateral confederation, in a way, you're talking about the Jordanian option at the end of the day, with some kind of an interim agreement on West Bank. Mm -hmm. In a way, it is reminiscent of some of the elements of the 1987 never signed agreement between Shimon Peres and uh, Ken Hussein both rest in peace. And while you talk about a confederation of three states, some people hear this as a scape route to have eventually two and a half states confederation. Israel, Jordan, and some kind of a Palestinian entity around the state. And the more Jordanians are going to get involved, the less Palestinians are going to get involved. I've heard that concern from Jordanians and from Palestinians, and I heard some of the joy towards it from those Israelis who oppose the Palestinian state. So I think that's a very fundamental problem that we need to, to acknowledge. Second, in that context, there are those who are even more extreme and say, well, if we have to deal with Jordan, then Jordan shall be Palestine, and Israel will be from the Jordan to the river, and there will be some technology transfer as well as population transfer. People can move, and they, the Jordan border will be open. Uh, naturally, Jordan will become a Palestinian state, and uh, Israel will be there. It will be a secure border between the two of them, and uh, some degree, uh, 
some of them believe that the configuration is an enabler to a two-stage solution being Jordan and Israel. So I'm raising those concerns. Those concerns, by the way, were one of the reasons why we said, oh, let's regionalize the whole thing. Let, let us start from the very far horizon and not stop at the three. At the three. Uh, so, so this is something I wanted to, to bring to your attention. It is not just what you are proposing. It is opening a dangerous path, I'm afraid, to some of the people who use a trilateral confederation approach in order to go to another endgame, which either minimizes the Palestinian portion or annihilizes it completely. Uh, but you know, you, you mentioned earlier, rightfully, of course, the Abraham Accord. What does that really mean in the context of the confederation? It's exactly what you're trying to suggest. That is, and I do not water down the concept of an independent Palestinian state under confederation. That is, they collaborate on matter of they want, but they maintain their independence completely from one another. So that's, I think, so all of those people would suggest, well, there's going to be like, is a two, half, two and a half state solution? That is not what I'm saying. Oh, no. That is exactly what's not going to happen. Nor the Jordan, when you mentioned Jordan, which is Jordanian, who told me the top, top official I'm talking about. We were not, we whereas we like the idea, but we are not Palestine. We are not Palestinian. We are the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. We will enter into this kind of an agreement only and only if there is an independent Palestinian state. So this is very, very clear to the Palestinians. But I fully subscribe again to the notion of the regional scale. Why do I not want to start big and end up with this? Because in my view, this is not going to happen. That is, since there is already a beginning of normalization of relationship between Israel and various Arab countries, Bahrain, of course, UAE, uh, and, and Morocco, and before that, of course, Jordan and and, and, and uh, and Egypt, we have those, the foundation of a regional collaboration exists. What is missing today when you talk to the leaders in Saudi Arabia and other, other countries, which I have by virtue, I needed to do some right about it. But what they are saying is, we cannot leave the Palestinian hanging because specifically the Saudis, and as recently as a week ago, two weeks ago, when um, uh, the was it the Secretary of State, I believe. Yeah, um, I was told by people involved in this discussion. You know, the Saudis completely need to be not need to be convinced at all that peaceful normalization with Israel is a good thing for Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but they do not want to be attacked day in and day out. You have betrayed, betrayed, and why Saudi Arabia in particular? Because Saudi Arabia represents Sunni Islam, because Saudi Arabia cannot say, came up with the Arab Peace Initiative, but now, you know, Thank the Palestinians are difficult to deal with, Israelis are difficult to deal with, hell with them, we have different kind of interests, security interests because of Iran, economic interests because oh, we, have, we need technology, we need progress, we need the growth, 
And the Palestinians have been in a major impediment, and we cannot deal with that anymore. So they want to, that is not going to happen. Saudi Arabia would like to see a solution or an agreement by Israel that binds the Israelis to some kind of a commitment that they will eventually move toward the establishment of the Palestinians before the Saudis normalize the relationship with Israel. That is, they are not expecting for the two parties to sit down and agree on a two-state solution and establish it and then normalize the relationship, but they want to make sure that Israel is making that commitment and they will link, and this is what I was told, we will link progress in the normalization process to the progress made on the Israeli Palestinian yeah. front. And that's exactly, that was the, the proposal that we've made over track to for, for years. Maybe maybe it's time for me just to, Please. you know, just to present the, the you know, the, the, there's a great degree of overlap between your proposal and ours. Uh, we share the same view of reality. We believe that there has to be a two-state solution in the context of something, and it's got to be done with a horizon and gradual buildup. But what we did, and by talking about we, I, I referred to a group of people who participated in track two meetings from uh, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, UAE, Saudi Arabia, uh, Egypt, Bahrain, in Morocco, where we came up with the idea of the Abrahamic initiative. By Abrahamic, we took the Abraham Accord yeah. and we took the Arab Peace Initiative mm -hmm. and the Israeli Peace Initiative, yeah. which we proposed. And we distilled those into what we call the Abrahamic Initiative. And what it does, it, it, it says, okay, here's the reality. We cannot establish a Palestinian state immediately. And therefore, we need to create a horizon that articulates four components. Mm -hmm. A creative two-state solution, regional security cooperation, regional economic cooperation, and regional process for reconciliation and building up normalization. We said, okay, if that is the horizon, it has these five components, okay, or four components, two-state, regional security, regional economic, regional uh, reconciliation. If that is the horizon, based on that, we begin to build a roadmap. And the roadmap has several components. Immediate improvement of the standard of living and exactly. of the Palestinians. Rapprochement between Israel, Egypt, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia linked to progress on the Palestinian state. A, a structured process of state building, and I would say state building and leadership building, which will take time. We think it's going to be anywhere between three to five years. After which, while showing on the road significant benefits, we finalize negotiation over permanent status agreement on all four components. Exactly. Not just the two states, but all four components. And then we stay away from the zero-sum game, impossible negotiation model between Israelis and Palestinians. When we presented that, uh, we also had one more condition, and which is quite normal. But we believe that for the first time, this process must be led by the region and not by the international community. Because 
for so many years, we had internationally led initiatives that were either supported or rejected by the region. We we said we need to change that formula. Okay. We need a regionally led process that will be supported by international community. And we are beginning to present this idea and to float it quietly and surely. And this is why I said, we, for us, the, the trilateral configuration is, is not enough. We think that the only way to create the momentum is by going beyond that to a regional scheme and then create the incentives to move forward towards the two states. Also because what it does for the Israeli calculation, it shows that the two-state solution give a much bigger scheme of benefits. So you can call it a variation on the theme that you propose or side-by-side -side ideas, but I think we will both agree that despite the harsh reality, it's time for novel ideas, and they in a way can no longer stay bilateral traditional models they've got to have other parties involved in various degrees of commitment of interest or participation uh, whether this is ends up just with a three parties approach as you propose or ends up with a eight parties approach as we propose it is a different path from where we see things today. Yeah, the, the, the only there's a, an area of, um, not a conflict, because I agree with ultimately it has to be on a regional scale. It is how do you, in my view, having dealt with conflict resolution practically all my adult life, since I graduated, the more players you have initially to reach a certain agreement, the more difficult it becomes because each of these players, if they have five or six or seven, they want to protect their turf to begin with. That's one element we have to consider. The second element is the time frame. That is to take the kind of time to get all, this, all these people together in order to eventually reach to the, to the three, to the three, to the confederation, things happen in the process. Provided though, what we want to do with the three-state solution is that open, that is, the Abraham Accord here plays a significant role. You know, you, we, you call it the way, you know, because it has already become an integral part of the solution. We need to expand that. But I do not necessarily want to start big in order to come there. I would like to see that being done simultaneously. We have the Abraham Accord. Let's continue to build on that while we are working on this to because the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is by far more complicated and more complex. We haven't Israel doesn't have any problem with Saudi Arabia, territorially or politically or otherwise. Doesn't have problem with any of the Gulf states. Israel has no ambition in any Arab country for that matter. So they are all waiting to see. So on a regional scale, your vision is absolutely critical and necessary. But I don't want to wait to achieve that in order for us to end up where we want to end up. Even in our proposal, it's done in Bali. It has to be done simultaneously. Absolutely. And that is what, you know, so we agree on that. That is, we need to start this process now between Israel and the Palestinians because the process on a regional scale has already begun. 
with the Abraham Accord. Now we want to bring other players, specifically Saudi Arabia. With Saudi Arabia, it changed the dynamics. And one other point I want to mention, which is consi very consistent with your approach, specifically when you focus on economy and security, and economy in particular. The greater, the more collaboration in this area between the three, four, five sides as, as things expand and grow, the greater the vested interest they all have trying to protect what they have achieved. This is so crucial in conflict resolution, and you, you know this better than most people. That is, if Israel feels that it's, it's benefiting, it's be the benefit it's, it's, it's getting from making peace is as such, it is no longer, they will no longer want to sacrifice it for another piece of land, because it will make no sense. That is for the same thing with the Palestinians. Because we haven't spoken about Israeli-Palestinian extremists like Hamas, like Islamic Jihad, where they're going to fit into this kind of scheme. This is but they'll fit. Believe it or not, yeah, they, will. they will fit into that this kind of scheme because they too, they know Israel is a fact of life. No matter how many years they can win, no matter how many missiles they acquire, they will be they will not be able to destroy Israel. And they are the one who basically will commit suicide if Israel feels existentially threatened. And they know that. And I talk to them and they say that. They know that. But they're taking a different position because they have nothing. They have nothing. They want something. So I think, you know, on the whole, what you are and are saying together, this is the kind of thing we need to aim for. We need to aim for. Because time, and I think we both agree again, Time is not in favor Absolutely. of either side. Absolutely. You know, um, I don't know how much time more we have, but uh, let me let me just uh, say say this. I don't want the viewers to have a, a sense of those who listen to us that if there is a huge conflict between you and me, there isn't. <laughs> because I'll say upfront, if if your approach, and if, if we meet ten years from now, and it is a, it is a, your approach, and not mine. I'll be delighted, and I guess the other way around. Absolutely. I I I do think it is time to to present new ideas, and it is time to understand the dynamics of both horizons and gradual process by 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 keeping a sense of urgency. Now, sometimes this sounds contradicting, but for me, it doesn't. And, yeah. I, and I strongly believe, and, and I shared with you the idea of what is happening with uh, this new establishment of a regional cooperation network of thinkers, academics, business people called MENA 2050, out of London, that brings together now 150 influential people from 20 countries in the region who share the notion that they need to work together ahead of their governments, ahead of their people, to find ways to confront the challenges of the region. And by the way, 2050 stands not just for the year 2050. It's because we have identified together in, in workshop, we have identified 20 major subjects that we need to address, tackle, and cooperate in order to eventually 
allow the leaders and the people to be motivated also to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm -hmm. So we're trying this approach as well. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, we are not short of ideas. We're not short of goodwill. And uh, these are tough times. But if we act with innovation and with passionate optimism, there is a chance. I, uh, I don't want to mention um, outside that is, we spoke about the Israeli-Palestinian. The question is, do you need outside players to participate in this process? And I'm not suggesting they're the ones who need to do the negotiation, because I agree with you 100%. This has to be negotiated on the region, by the region itself, between the Israelis and Palestinians directly and Jordanian directly, and you do not need necessarily outsider to sit down and, and go from one room to the next between the two sides. That is not going to happen. Well, there are a number of players who can actually assist, make it possible for the two sides to sit down actually and begin. And to, I just want to mention those in, uh, states. Number one, of course, the United States. The United States ought to lend full support to the idea to begin with. And in every which way they support. And if they get stuck, they can lean on the United States for something. And the United States role could be is extremely important, albeit not necessarily sitting down between the two sides and negotiating. That's number one. The second then, since the Palestinians have little suspicion and sus suspect the neutrality of the United States, we need another player that the Palestinians actually have better relationship, and that is the EU, specifically Germany. Germany was able to maintain excellent relationship with both Israel as well as the Palestinians, which is a very important thing to, to see. Israel, just like uh, second only to the United States and its commitment to Israel national security. But they also are concerned about the plight of the Palestinian people. So that is an important player. The third player that ought to be also involved in this is Egypt. Egypt remains the largest, most critical Arab country. And so they ought to be also involved. And then when I say involved again, not in the day-to-day -day negotiation, but they should be the, 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 along with Germany, along with the United States, they should be there in to support the process as a, because like you said, if we're going to take it on a regional scale, you need this player to be part and parcel of that process. And the third, uh, fourth element of the country, which is absolutely critical, is Saudi Arabia. And the Saudis' involvement ought to be felt from the very beginning, because the Saudis need to give the green light. They need to say, we are, we support that, but move on. So that these four, four players, Egypt, Germany representing the EU, basically, the United States, and Saudi Arabia ought to be the umbrella organization together. They sort of work with the Israelis on the sideline and the Palestinians to able to give them the support they need in any which way you can imagine. They were, because these powers, they have the means for the political power, the political influence, the economic influence, and certainly the security. They can use that leverage in order to help the two sides to, to come to an agreement. I think my, my own list is slightly different, but uh, 
I can explain the variation. Um, because because I, I put number one element on the region, for me, the region by and large today uh, is the triumvirate of, of, of or four players that are absolutely must in this process of, of the of the regional agreement mm -hmm. for the two states. Um, these are, of course, Egypt. First and foremost, I agree with you. Nothing moves without Egypt. Saudi Arabia. Um, but I would add two more regional players that are perhaps more quiet, but are as influential, especially because of special ties with Israel and the Arab Court. This is the UAE and yeah. Morocco. And Morocco. Mm -hmm. Morocco has a huge role to play. It has traditionally been playing a very important role, as you very well know. So those those are the four regional players. From Europe, I have some doubts about the viability of the EU as an entity, although I'm very pleased to see a change of tone in the EU when ever since they established and appointed a special envoy, um, who started to look at the region through a regional perspective and European interest in the region rather than a very traditional um, support for a bilateral model. I think the EU, in its changing tone, could play a very important role, which it wasn't able to play when it was part of the quartet. It was pretty much anti-Israeli, even if not outspoken. So EU, with a caveat, as, as I said, but I definitely see a new role but a huge role, first of all, for Germany. I think I 100% agree with you. On uh, this is this is untapped potential for involvement and positive uh, contribution. But I also see the UK and France as playing a role. In a way, the, the UK, France, and Germany, in a way, in some cases, are more important. I think from from my perspective, compared to the EU as an entity. Oh, that's because, because you look at the special relations between yeah. Macron and the UAE and Saudi Arabia and the, also the economic sphere. So so I, I, I would definitely want to see them involved. And by and large, I think, because without saying, we have to have US involvement, but a different model and a different attitude compared to what we have seen. Um, the traditional role of the U.S. Is, I don't think is no longer valid, but it is vital that the U.S. Excellent. becomes the cornerstone of any process. Okay. How they operationalize it, I believe a lot of things have to change compared to the past. But for anyone who has the... Uh, illusionary idea that the United States has walked away from the region uh, and more precisely will no longer be involved in any agreement. It's a big, big mistake. It won't happen. Israel will not walk into any process without knowing that the United States is behind, is, is behind it. And uh, that is a fundamental assumption that shouldn't be questioned. Should not be questioned. I, I, I... Could not agree again with you more because um, the the United States. I mean, 
again, those who say United States is losing interest in the Middle East, I think completely, completely wrong. Uh, just imagine, to this day, the American military presence in the Middle East is larger than any other part of the world. The sixth fleet in the Mediterranean, the seventh fleet in the Arabian Sea, the largest uh, ground troop base is in, in, in Qatar. Not to speak of the forward um, um, equipment and mission that are in Israel. That is, if today 30,000 Americans need to go to the region, they have they can go only with their backpack because their equipment and, and, and munition, everything is already in the region. I mean, America's strategic interest in the region, if anything, has been strengthened rather than making. The fact that they are concerned about Asia and they need to deal with Russia and they need to, I mean, with China and they need to deal with an preoccupation now with the, with the Ukraine does not diminish. It's a question of focus. They are, need to focus on the hot conflict right now, be that China and Russia. But that does not mean necessarily that they, they lost their interest in the middle of it. Because it's, it's a problematic, but it's not burning. And Russia is burning, with China is extremely dangerous. So that's so that's and so American role is a sequel directly, indirectly, from economic perspective, security perspective, uh, name it, not to speak of of course America's nuclear umbrella. That is it's been floated, the whole idea being floated. That is under condition of peace. The United States can also provide the nuclear umbrella so that no country would be pushing to get a car attack war on nuclear weapon. And, and it would maybe, be unnecessary. Maybe one of the best areas that really show, you know, we, we, we have these conversations that are being more and more linked or more and more public about the effort to bring the Israeli-Saudi relationship to a better stage with the linkage to the Palestinian issues. But what was the fundamental thing that stood between fast-track progress on this and slow progress? Where the demands of Saudi Arabia from the United States. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, you could have argued what does the, the Saudis are smart. I mean, what they want in order to make progress it's not just a traditional demand embedded in the Arab Peace Initiative to see progress on the Israeli-Palestinian track. It is to warrant, to make sure that their strategic national interests are guaranteed by the United States the United in the States. context of such a deal. Exactly. And and, and, and that has been the, the most difficult part. Yeah, in, and they actually will use one Israel because they feel that Israel can be the best conduit for them to advance sure. their, so, their strategic and, and economic interests, specifically in security interests with the United States. But you know, double moving in between uh, Mecca and, uh, and Jerusalem yeah. goes through DC. Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. Exactly. Um, we have one question from the audience. Um, if anybody has any further questions, they can submit them through the Q&A uh, feature in Zoom. Uh, so question from Mohammed. Why do you think Jordan will be a Palestinian state? Jordan will not accept this concept at all. 
And also the Palestinians will not accept this as they have their lands and are struggling to have their own state. We have never said, in fact, to the, the contrary, Jordan will not be and is not a Palestinian state. As a matter of fact, this is a critically important. That is, Jordan will not be a part of a confederation unless there is first a Palestinian state. That was a precondition that I've heard time and again and again. So I, the question that is the listener uh, probably did not hear what we've said. We said that clearly we both, Kobe and I, fully, fully agree that uh, Jordan is not Palestine and isn't going to be Palestine. Uh, to further add to that, I raise the concern that some people might take this fundamental proposition and may try to turn it upside down so that Jordan becomes the Palestinian state, and we should vehemently oppose that. I raise it as a concern yeah. that somebody is going to take advantage of the trilateral approach and take it to a direction which we see as extremely negative and unacceptable. And let me let me just take the opportunity and say a few words about the importance of Jordan and the whole equation, because I think it is sometimes misunderstood. Jordan has played a very brave role over the past decades and has not been properly rewarded in my yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. Um, you cannot underestimate the importance of Jordan for the Iraqi people being able to absorb almost by now 2 million Iraqis in Jordan as refugees. You cannot underestimate the importance of Jordan for the Syrian people okay. for being able to absorb and take a hugely brave humanitarian role <clears throat> to become the state of the refugees, not just in 48 and in some in 67. So Jordan is in a very, very acute situation. And if there's one thing that I'm worried about is the quality of relations between Israel and Jordan, which has been deteriorating. By the way, I would very much commend Bennett and Lapid government for resurrecting those relations. Yes. And I would even say that even today, despite all the gravity of the situation, I think that this Netanyahu's government is much more aware um, of the risks of losing Jordan. And it is by far more attending to the yeah. Need and that's a very positive uh, observation. But Jordan needs to be acknowledged as a cornerstone of regional stability, and not just from an Israeli perspective, but as the very importantly, and sometimes alone, I feel that it's Arab neighbors and Arab partners do not acknowledge uh, the importance of Jordan You're right. You're and right. its successful right. prosperity. Here's another, you know, here's another positive sign on, on the other hand. The trilateral agreement between Israel, UAE, and Jordan about water and energy funded by the UAE. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just an example, yes. a manifestation of what could be done yes. in the region if we unleash the thinking and we begin to develop yeah. cross-border relationship between different players for the good of the region. So I think, speaking as, a, as an Israeli, the way I understand the strategic interest 
of my country, a strong, independent, Hashemite-driven children, prospering, secure, and flourishing is a strategic interest, not just of Jordan, but of Israel. Israel. And it should be the strategic interest of its Arab partners and the United States. And the Palestinians. And the Palestinians. So for me, and I and I admire, and I admire the ability of my Jordanian neighbors to play the role that they have played to contribute to regional stability and security under all these dire conditions, let alone going forward. And now when we look at the two-state element, and when you spoke about Jerusalem, we have to remember that when we talk about negotiating a deal with Israel on Jerusalem, there are fundamental legal elements that should be remembered. Clause 9 of the Israeli-Jordanian peace agreement stipulates that any discussion on the future of Jerusalem shall be discussed between Israel and Jordan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, the, and the agreement between President Abbas and King Abdullah in 28th of March 2013, just before the launch of the Kerry Initiative, granted by the Palestinian leadership, granted the authority to negotiate the issues of Jerusalem to the And it is not just because it is a matter of convenience. It is because of the acknowledgement that only Jordan could do this. Only Jordan could address both the Islamic holy site and the Christian holy site in Jerusalem. And it is done under the capacity of two countries that have a peace agreement between them that could negotiate the future of Jerusalem. What I think is happening now is that um, sometimes the Saudis want to get involved in the yeah, future yeah, yeah, of the Hamas Sharif yeah. at the expense of the Jordanians. Right. I think this should be worked out. Yeah. I think Morocco should be brought into the equation. But there shall be no doubt that without Jordan, we wouldn't have seen Jerusalem as it is today. Under all, under all tough circumstances, mm -hmm. the stabilizing uh, effort that they should play is there. The importance of Israeli-Jordanian relationship is there. And this is an asset that should be further developed and, and, and nourished so that one day the peace and the diplomatic agreement could also cover the issue of Jerusalem and, as being held between Jordan and Israel. There's no doubt. A, you know, I I'm absolutely agree. You know, most people also don't know that Jordan was, in fact, the first country in the Arab world, going back now to King Hussein. 40 years, 50 years ago, King Hussein met with practically every single prime minister 25 years before the peace agreement between Israel and Jordan was established in 1995. Mm -hmm. No country has been more consistent in dealing on a peaceful terms with Israel than Jordan. In fact, Egypt came lately, 1979. But Jordan has had this relationship tacit, albeit, 
going back even to king uh, king abdullah king Ab yeah king the, abdullah and the, the golden mayor yeah that's right king hussein even no i'm talking about king abdullah his his the, grandfather the grandfather exactly so people just don't understand what how critical jordan is in this equation and it's about time this come up to the we talk more about yeah. it and speak i know i agree because this is so central to the future of the region, future stability, economic development, prosperity, yeah. and everything else that we, we talk about. And unfortunately, we have seen missed opportunities for, by now, soon, almost 30 years, uh, missed opportunities to strengthen the relationship between Jordan and Israel from people to people, business to people. This is business. Uh, I, am, I still remain convinced that this bridge between Israel and Jordan is a fundamental cornerstone of stability and security in the region. And it will be important whether we go up the route that you have articulated towards a trilateral uh, confederation, or whether the route for regional agreement for two states that I'm proposing, this is a fundamental element that must be addressed and must be nourished and must be liberated. Sorry, no, I, I fully agree. You know, it's, it's um, uh, initially you commended me for having the patient <laughs> after how many years? You know, my dissertation, PhD dissertation, was about the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Going back, I hate to say it, how long ago? more than 40 years, almost coming close to 50, advocating the need to establish a Palestinian state. And I'm not praising myself. The reason I mentioned this to you, I want to tell those people who are looking at this conflict and, and uh, started to think it's hopeless and give up, I need to remind them that we cannot afford to do so. If we care, if we care about the future of Israel as a country, having it been established on the ashes of, the, of the, what happened in, in, the, in the Holocaust, we cannot afford to tell the Palestinian, it's too late, it's, you know, you're gonna, make, you're gonna say it's subordinated, enslaved by the Palestinian to the end of time. Anyone who thinks, that we have already run us out of patience. We have no longer patience for them. And let them struggle, let them kill each other for another 75 years, is doing the most horrifying disservice to the Israelis and to the Palestinians. Sure. So patience become the greatest asset here for us. We need to be patient. We never give up. If we give up, then that is the, the disaster that we're going to be inflicting on both people. You know, let me let me just suggest uh, just to illustrate your point, which I, with which I fully agree. If this meeting took place exactly fifty years ago, in June, nineteen seventy-three, and uh, if uh, we were telling the audience, I don't know if there were internet-based podcasts then, but supposedly, if we were telling people in May. 73, that within the next 50 years, Israel will have peace with Egypt, Jordan, Madrid conference, 
PLO will recognize Israel. There will be an Oslo Accord. There will be an Arab Peace Initiative. There will be an Abrahamic Accord. And there will be side agreements between Israel and Saudi, Israel and Lebanon, etc. And we will be talking about the regional cooperation. And there will be even several civil society organizations that would work with regional interlocutors. At the time, if we said that 50 years ago, we would be viewed as completely insane, especially as this would have been three months before the eruption of the 73. Yeah. Yet, despite all that, 50 years later, if we look backwards and said what has been achieved and the kind of progress that has happened, uh, we cannot ignore this. And therefore, there's no way, I would even say that empirically, optimism wins because look at what has been happening and it was completely inconceivable just 50 years ago. I'm not saying that we should wait another 50 years in order to be a little bit more optimistic. I think we need to be more agile and give us a, a, ourselves a decade to solve the, the issues and to reach some kind of stability. I think it is doable. It depends on new leadership, new ideas, but the same good old optimistic passion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you remind me, when I published that book, I had threats from both Jews and Palestinians. Palestinian, how dare you talk about Israel's right to exist? And the Israelis say, how dare you talk about the Palestinian right to exist? I got really life-threatening threats. We will kill you. We'll find you. We'll kill you. And but you know, when I projected it, that's exactly when it was published in 1975. 1948 years ago, I said, this is when I'm going to have to do that. How I review what's going to happen down the line. Uh, you know, you are, you are so correct. Uh, just, just about everything you said. Uh, I don't think there is any fundamental disagreement between the, the two of us. Um, nevertheless, uh, I, I think looking at this conflict, the way we have looked at it, and agreeing that something needs to die, needs to be done, and things are in the region, on a regional scale, are moving. They're not, they're not stand still. But there's hope. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to thank you so much. Thank you. For thank taking you for the time you. to come here. My pleasure. For pleasure. allowing us to have this kind of discussion. And hopefully it will resonate. Thank you so much. With so many other people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Roger. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.